Welcome everybody to a very special episode of A Little Greener. I am one of your hosts. My name is Sarah and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Casey. Hey Casey. Hey everybody. How's it going? We, I said it's a very special episode because we have a special guest today, everybody. Uh, we're very excited to welcome Mr. John Shigarian to the podcast. John, I feel like we would run out of time right from the beginning if we tried to list all of the things that you have done. Uh, but today we're going to be focusing in particular on your work as correct me if I mess any of these up, but co-founder, chairman, and CEO of e-waste recycling company ERI. Yeah, that's hundred percent correct. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so welcome to a little greener. We're really happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. It's an honor and privilege to be here, ladies, and thanks for having me. Well, we want to start off by talking a little bit about ERI and and what it is you do. So, founded in two thousand two, correct? You are the largest recycler of e waste in the United States, serving every the the entire country. Yep, in every zip code, and we have now. Our ninth location is um, opening in November of this year in Goodyear, Arizona. But we started this journey back in 2002 when e-waste was just a new concept. No one was really focused on it. It was the dark side and backside of what was then the burgeoning technological revolution. And when we started studying this opportunity, we realized e-waste that back then, 20 years ago, was the fastest growing solid waste stream in the world. And we just said, okay, we're going to open one location in Fresno, California, and see how it goes. And I think our first month of business, give or take, we recycled about 10,000 pounds of electronic waste. So we were very proud of that. That's exciting. We keep it out of a landfill. We keep it from being shipped abroad to the wrong people abroad that don't have the right tools in emerging economies to responsibly recycle electronic waste. And we were just excited to start the journey to make a profit, make the world a better place, and make new jobs in our community. Well, you fast forward 20 years later, and some fascinating things happened along the way. One is now we have this, our ninth location opening at about 1,100 employees. We cover every zip code. And so it's, it's a great job creator, economic development creator couple of things to keep in mind, though. E-waste, 20 years later, is not only the fastest growing solid waste stream in the world, it's the fastest growing solid waste stream in the world by an order of magnitude of two to four times the second fastest growing solid waste stream, which is post-consumer waste plastic. So the problem has gotten bigger, even though some very responsible solutions like ERI have popped up in North America and around the world the problem has gotten much, much bigger. And we'll get, we could go into why later on. The, the also fun statistic is last month, we recycled about 20 million pounds of electronic waste. So we went from 10,000 pounds to 20 million. And when I talk about 20 million pounds being recycled, it all, all those materials, none of it goes to a landfill. We're zero waste, zero landfill, zero emission. So all of the commodities get sold for beneficial reuse to go into new products and other items that are allowed to be resold under the contracts that come in under, such as phones or tablets or, or hard drives that can be wiped and resold, retested and repackaged, they also don't go to a landfill. So the story, when done responsibly and correctly, is truly a great one. That's amazing. 
we have actually tried to do an episode about e-waste on this podcast before and truly it is a rabbit hole that you can dive (laughs) down, especially if you're not someone who is an expert in the field. So we're really excited to pick your brain on some of those nuances. If we start at a really basic level for our listeners, defining e-waste, it's generally any component of an electronic system, right? That, that is no longer in use. Is that, yeah, more or less it. Yeah, so I'm showing you, I'm holding up. Um, I know your view, your listeners can't see this, but I'm holding up my hand. So in my hand is my, I'm, as my wedding ring, I'm showing you my aura ring. So the aura ring, when it comes to its end of life, has lithium ion batteries in it. So this has to be recycled when it comes to its end of life. My Garmin watch, which is a great watch, and uh, I love it, and it helps me keep healthy uh, and count my steps and everything, has a lithium ion battery in it. So the the issue is electronics have become ubiquitous to our lives in those 20 years. That's a great thing. It makes us more connected, more information. Our business lives are more interesting. Our personal lives are more interested and more connected. But all this e-waste, as you say, now needs to to go somewhere. So everything with a cord, everything without a cord, all the new things, uh, the wearables, all the internet of things that we use in our house and everything, the... The, the Amazon Echoes, the uh, Nest, the Ring, all that stuff, drones, robots, and we get all these things. All of them have to be res- responsibly handled. And also think about this. EV cars have become computers on wheels. So they have hard drives in them. So imagine if you go fly to another city tomorrow and you go rent a car and it's a modern car, it's an EV car. And, and, and you're trying to get on some of your favorite music or get it on from your phone, from Spotify or Apple iTunes. And you press a bunch of buttons to when, when you're, when you're trying to get situated in your rental car in many instances, inadvertently benignly, we'll press a button or two that will allow the car to through Bluetooth download our, our cell phone information or our tablet information. So now you turn the car back in two or three days later now that car on its hard drive has all of your data, your banking information, your, your social security number, your personal family information, your business contacts. Things have gotten more complicated than ever before. So even EV cars, hard drives need to be responsibly handled when they come to their natural end of life. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point to bring up the connectivity of it all. It's something that we might not think about. My brother-in-law is getting into IT and he's talking about, oh, if you want those smart devices, you have to start thinking about your Wi-Fi and everything else that it's connected to. And to think about that from the beginning of when you're using a product all the way to the time it's disposed of is an important thing that I don't think that we have really wrapped our brains around as the layperson. That's true. And Sarah and Casey, the good news is that although e-waste has expanded as a problem, your generation now has, for the first time compared to my generation, has taken climate change and environmental issues extraordinarily seriously. Your generation's voting with your, you know, by, you know, purchasing, making purchases based on the quality of the product, but also the greenness of the product now. Is the product make it made out of recycled materials or partial? Are they trying at least? Is the manufacturer trying? So you're, you know, you're you're using the power of your pocketbook to make informed decisions that weren't even part of my world 
because my education was much different than yours and climate change wasn't part of our lexicon or vernacular. So your generation is literally going to shift us from the standard linear economy, which is basically use and throw away, to now the, the circular economy, which is nothing should be thrown away. These are, there's a reuse opportunity for almost everything. Yeah, I love adding that piece of optimism to it. And it is, it is great to see some of those things. I recently had to buy a new computer and it's nice to see some of those options popping up now that they're actually making computers that are designed to have parts that are easy for a person to take and replace rather than just getting rid of the entire device and, and those sorts of solutions uh, starting to, to present itself and, and, and companies like yours as well. So I want to ask you, given that, as you say, this is something that now is starting to be worked on more, but 20 years ago, we weren't thinking about e-waste. So how did you, what, what drove you to this? What got you interested in e-waste recycling and how did, yeah. how did, how did this come to be for you? This one wasn't really classically my idea. I was more just like say I was drafted rather than uh, thinking about it. So what happened was this. I had a company in 98, which sounds many years away, but it's not that long ago. 98 was the year Google started. And I started a, a .com myself that year called financialaid.com. Of course, every venture capitalist threw me out of their office. My partners and I, Mike O'Brien and Matt O'Brien, the three of us got thrown out of every venture capital office. But eventually we found two or three angel investors and put some money together and our own money. And we launched financialaid.com. And we got very, very lucky. Right time, right place. It was the wild west of the dot-com era. And financialaid.com democratized the student lending process and became the largest online student lending company in America. Think, think of it this way. We were the predecessor to SoFi. Everything SoFi is doing, we were basically doing back then without the banking element. And we sold that in 2004. While we were running it, I, I hired a young man out of college named Kevin Dillon. And Kevin ran my sales and marketing, our sales and marketing. And he had a best friend from high school named Aaron Blum. And Aaron Blum dreamed this business up down in San Diego where we were running financialaid.com. And he started it under a different name, but it was the same concept, recycling computers back then. And as we evolved financialaid.com and we became closer and closer friends, we used to go to a lot of sporting events and dinner together and he basically said, hey, when you guys sell financialaid.com, can you join me and help me do what you guys did there? And we said, makes sense. We studied the business with him and through him. So we closed down the San Diego location, changed the brand name to ERI and moved the whole thing to Fresno and did a whole restart. And so 20 years later, the four of us, Kevin, Aaron, myself, and my wife, Tammy, are all still co-founding partners. And the original team that we built, uh, let's say the first 20 people are all still with us. And now we're 1,100 people and now we're the largest brand. So these, that's how we started it. And we saw the problem. And, and basically, it all stemmed out of when I was your age, much, much younger. I was 29 or 30 and the, what was then called the Rodney King riots happened in L.A. when we were living in L.A. and I was a real estate developer. We, I was the co-founder with Father Greg Boyle of Homeboy, was then first called Homeboy Tortillas. And we evolved into Homeboy Industries, and Greg has been brilliant running it for 30 years. But I learned from Greg and from that experience that you could make a profit, but also make an impact and make a social impact 
make a community impact and make the world a better place. And my wife and I decided back then, listen, there's a lot of ways to make money. You can make widgets and make a fortune. You can make ice cream and make a fortune. Everything we touched and did from there on in, from homeboy on, had to not only make a profit, but also make the world a better place, make an impact. So financialaid.com, ERI, and every company that we're involved with now, about a dozen of them, all are make social impacts one way or another. So it's very important to us to uh, effectuate and impact the community and, and the world that we live in and not just think about profit. Profit's important because you can't change the world unless the business is sustainable and, get, and, and keeps going. But it's not the only thing that's out there. Yeah. And I mean, it comes across looking at ERI's website, you can see that uh, that commitment to sustainability. And again, thinking for listeners who might not be as familiar with e-waste, might be wondering what really the problems and the benefits are of of e-waste recycling. So just real quick, e-waste has huge environmental impacts for a number of reasons. A lot of it has to do with the materials that are inside our electronic devices, anything from gold, copper, cobalt, uh, coltan. Is that, coltan is how I got into hearing about or thinking about electronic recycling. We talk about that a lot in the conservation education world in relationship to gorillas. They're kind of the poster child for uh, recycle your cell phones uh, because these materials can be mined from habitats that are very important and, and critical to a lot of species. So that's one impact. If we're recycling these electronic devices, uh, we we can cut down on the mining for these materials. And then hazard, hazardous materials can be leached into the environment as well uh, if these items are going into landfill. So I imagine, Sorry, you know, learning about these as you, as you went on, you know, helps increase your commitment to recycling as well. You're 100% right, Sarah. There's so many wins that come out of doing this responsibly. A, as you point out, electronics in them historically have, and again, this doesn't make the OEMs bad for doing this. They were making products that made our lives more fun and interesting. They, they, that's what they said their mission was. And But they do have in them some versions and forms of arsenic, beryllium, lead, cadmium, mercury, and other things. As you said, if they go into the landfill, and landfills typically have holes in their lining. So when there's water that comes on them and natural rain and other wet situations, that those hazardous materials will eventually leach into our ecosystem, get into our plants, animals, and eventually make its way back into humans. As you said, so that's some of the horrible negatives. Besides, if they're shipped off our shores to China, India, or Africa, then many times children are are co-opted Young people are co-opted into the demanufacturing of electronics. So human rights violations happen. That's a, that compounds the issue, the environmental issues. Go back to what you were saying. Talk about cobalt, which is, uh, of course, in electronics, but also in EV batteries and other things like that. It's a conflict material, and it comes out of the Congo, and uh, no one wants to be on the wrong side of that now. No one wants to hurt the, 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 the environment, and everyone is very, very sensitive to these issues now. So if we're able to, what, quote unquote, urban mine these materials by taking it out of the electronics that already exist above ground and put them back into our new new materials, everybody wins. The world is a better place. Yeah, this is, again, that, that rabbit hole you can go down from both where you can get these materials to where they end up. When I was doing research on it, like you said, a lot of those electronics are shipped overseas, which 
can be legal, but obviously it almost imagines that these people who live overseas aren't, aren't, don't deserve the same sort of health and environmental protections that we have. Um, the things that I was seeing is that they would have people in their backyards using like fire pits to burn and separate metals and things like that. What sort of processes do you implement in ERI that keeps the recycling process safe for people in the planet? Great, great question. So back in 2008, my wife who came out of, my wife, Tammy, who came out of the food industry working for her family, she saw there was an opportunity to automate this business. So we started traveling the world. She did with our engineers and with Aaron and Kevin, my partners, and some other employees, that colleagues that worked with us, Anthony Borges and some others. And they started looking at how do we shred electronics responsibly? So they went to Germany and to France and Japan and literally about 15 countries and they saw that there was no off the rack solution. So we hired engineers and we hired a, a plant manager to build the first and the biggest electronic waste shredder in the world in Fresno, California. But here's the deal. We put all the money into that. So if it worked, we were going to go to the moon potentially if all worked out. But if it didn't, we're out of business. Thankfully, it worked. And basically, it shreds the electronics, once the glass is removed from it, and it shreds it into shredded plastic, shredded steel, aluminum, copper, and then printed circuit boards, PCBs they're called, printed circuit boards. And it shreds those and separates those materials on the other side using magnets and other, other ocular technologies. And we then take all those materials and sell them to smelters around the world. So Bottom line is we built the world's biggest shredder, 1.0 in Fresno. We then built 2.0 in Massachusetts and then 3.0 in Plainfield, Indiana. And that's, that's how we really started automating the business. Since then, we've gotten robots involved. As robots started becoming more popular and part of our the world's business world and also ocular technology, AI has also gotten involved. So we're very much leaning into technology to help solve the technology problem that we have. It's interesting to me too that you you mentioned looking at what other countries are doing too. This is another struggle that we've been we've tried to figure out as we are learning about e-waste. There are a lot of numbers out there in terms of looking at our e-waste recycling rate. How would you say the United States electronic recycling compares to other countries in terms of our, our, our rate of recycling? And what are the challenges? Why are we not better at this? What are the challenges that we need to, to overcome to Sarah, Sarah, uh, increase our percentage? Question. You're asking right, the right questions. And, on, and here's a sad fact. This isn't my opinion. This is the United Nations numbers. Now, Sarah, I'm going to say this to you. The, the numbers are somewhat old. They're five years old from the United Nations. According to the United Nations, only 17% of all the electronics that are used in this planet are being re responsibly recycled. So that's the worldwide number according to the UN. So we have to take that as our baseline. Now, going specifically to your question, anecdotally, our knowledge in the United States is that we're somewhere between three to five points below that 17. So we're probably at about 12 to 14%. Now, when you think about it, I want you to think of the geography a little bit. This is the best. This is not in some textbook. This is not in some white paper that was written by McKinsey 
or Bloomberg. This is from my travels around the world and meeting our partners and our clients all around the world over the last 20 years or so. So here's my, my feeling on, on, on the why. When you go to Germany or UK or France, or by the way, Japan or South Korea, these countries are from a size perspective geographically challenged. They had to learn 30, 40, 50 years ago to be more sustainable, just not to choke on their own trash. And so they started acting in a circular and sustainable way back in the 30s, 40s, latest 50s. So they've been into this. They're not only your generation is into this, but people my age were already into this back, back then. In America, it was different. We're the land of the free and the big. And, and so where our attitude was, wait a second, we got so much land out here. We'll just, we'll just dig, another, uh, dig another hole in the ground and make another landfill and toss it in the ground. So we, we took the lazy approach to this, unfortunately. Intellectually lazy, it forced us not, to, it, it then is counterintuitive to any innovation and it just allows us to pick up piles of trash and throw it in a hole. And by the way, that's not that difficult. And you know, coming up with solutions for post-consumer plastic waste is difficult. Responsibly recycling electronics and figuring out how to take the myriad of all these new gadgets that are being produced every year is difficult. Or mattresses or tires, all not easy. These other countries started figuring these things out earlier. They made it part of their culture and their DNA. And we, we lagged and we still lag, unfortunately. But we're starting to catch up because your generation is pushing us. And it's a combination now of the top and the bottom. It's your youthful generation pushing us with the financial institutions the, around the world saying, hey, we're going to invest in companies that are doing the green, the circular economy, the ESG thing. And if you're not doing it and being transparent about it and reporting it, we're going to pull our money back from you and good luck. And so the pressure from the bottom and the top now is, is unstoppable and undeniable. And that's going to keep pushing us to catch up to more sustainable countries like South Korea, like Japan, like Germany, like UK, like France, and many other countries that are really have leaned into this for 40, 50, 60 years. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up also those constraints that those countries face. I, I think some basically us proceeding in a way until we run out of time and have to come up with a solution. That's something that government regulations help us sort of curb into that innovation by putting those restrictions on before we actually hit that breaking point. I saw on your website that Pennsylvania is one of the states that has a landfill ban for electronics. Um, And that brings me to the fact that Sarah and I talked about how we both have a little cachet like squirrels in our house of electronics that we know we need to recycle. We know not to throw away, but we're not sure the best way to do it. One of the things that you bring up as a concern is that security aspect of it, of all that data. Um, How much of that safety concern is warranted and how can our listeners safely recycle their electronics? What should we be looking for? Great questions, Casey, and I'll I'll break it down. Let's first, let's talk about what should consumers be looking for in terms of certifications of Qualify recyclers. And like I said earlier, we're just one of many good solutions. Many great entrepreneurs have created responsible solutions here in the United States. And by the way, around the world, we work with great recyclers in 70 countries around the world, wonderful people doing great things. 
is not only one way to the finish line. They don't have to have our shredders. They can have their own shredders. There's lots of ways of doing this the right way. So from an environmental perspective, they should have either or both e-stewards and R2 certifications. We're both. We're the rare company that has both. But R2 is a great certification and e-stewards is a great certification. Then when it comes to data destruction, responsible and safe data destruction, they should be NAID certified. NAID, N-A-I-D, that stands for National Association of Information Destruction. Last but not least, icing on the cake is if they could be SOC 2 certified, that's even like a cherry on top. SOC 2 has to do with information controls and security systems, both physical and also stuff that's more uh, software related. And we're SOC 2 certified at this point, to our knowledge, our best knowledge, we're the only SOC 2 certified e-waste recycler on the planet. But others will join and follow because as the leader goes, others will go. So those are the certifications uh, that people should look for. Many great brands use us that take in consumer products, Amazon, Staples, Best Buy. So if you drop your stuff off at Best Buy or Staples, you know it's going to go to a certified recycler. That's ERI, or it could be one of our certified competitors. That's all good. All is fair in love. We want to just make the world a better place. There's plenty to go around for everybody. In terms of giving your products back, though, to other, other people, either on eBay or Craigslist or a trade-in, trade-up program at a, at a place that doesn't use certified recyclables or you're just not sure, that's where things get dicey. And here's, here's what I'll, I'll share with you about the cybersecurity crime world. In 2015, the cyber criminals, in absolute opposite of what our parents taught us, our parents all taught us crime doesn't pay. Well, unfortunately, in 2015, the cyber criminals actually successfully stole about $3 trillion around the world, $3 trillion. Six years later, in 2021, that number had risen to $6 trillion. So the cyber criminals, in many, many ways, are winning. And so is it, is it a sure thing that if you put your phone or your laptop or your hard drive or your tablet on Craigslist or eBay, that it's going to be catastrophic? No, it's not. You know, I don't want to be an extremist or an alarmist, but is it possible? Heck yeah. There's bad people out there that have bad intents. And if the wrong person bought your old cell phone or iPhone or said they're going to pick up the materials from your business for free, no such thing as free recycling, for any business or organization, something catastrophic could happen. So the key, the key is you have to, like, like anything else, uh, when you're hiring a doctor or lawyer, you have to be your own, you have to always gut check everything they're telling you. Same thing when you're handling the disposal uh, of your old electronics. A, you, everyone now agrees that we all want to drink cleaner water, breathe cleaner air. No one wants to overtly destroy the environment. Um, that's number one. Number two, selfishly speaking, no one wants their family business or their money to be stolen and their old tablet or cell phone or desktop or anything that can have their old information on it get into the wrong people's hands. So just take extra care of who you're giving it to or who you're selling it to and make them be transparent, not opaque. Opaqueness was a, a pillar of this industry historically. Now radical transparency has become 
the bigger pillar of the industry. So force them to be transparent. And if you don't have a good gut feeling about it, don't give it to them. Hold on to it until, until you can figure it out, a better solution. So I've got two follow-ups for that. One, just for my own personal, so I can finally get rid of these three <laughs> cell phones and my old laptop that I have sitting around. So yeah. theoretically, if I were to take this to one of those organizations you mentioned, like Best yeah. Buy, you said that yeah. you work with, yeah. I don't need to do anything to it beforehand. No. I can no. just I would take them. them. I would still wipe them. No, no. Sarah, just to take extra care for your own peace sure. of mind, Delete wipe them if you can. Whatever yeah. the reset is that they say, yeah. do it. But yeah. then I know Best Buy, they've been a client for 16 years. They're wonderful people. They were early, all in on this early. I know the vendors that they hire. We're one of them. All of them are certified. Yeah, but I really don't need to change. like take anything out or smash no, no, no. anything. Before you're good at Best Buy. You're good at Staples. <laughs> you know, you're good at these, these brands that really care. So you're good there. You're good Perfect. there. Perfect. That's great to hear. And then second, you do have a book that you author that came out last year yes the yeah, insecurity of everything out, yeah last year it's called the insecurity of everything it basically sums up everything we're talking about today when it comes to data security and we didn't write it to be to make money or to be shakespearean or anything we wrote it basically just to spread good information to people so people could can make their lives safer their businesses their organizations their families safer so my partners and i wrote it it was aaron blum kevin dylan brendan egan tammy shagirin and myself and I want to offer this book for free to any and all of your listeners that write to you and send in their name and address. You just forward us that list and we'll mail them a copy of this so they can have that. They can, it, it doesn't take long to, to review, probably in one night, review the book and learn best practices in terms of how to protect themselves and all the hardware that they have around them. And a lot of people don't even realize that their white goods now have, you know, their washers and dryers and their refrigerators and freezers all now have hard drives in them and they're interconnected to all of our voice recognition technology and everything else. So it's just good to take extra care. Thank you for that. Uh, well, we always give it at the end of every episode, but if you're interested in, in taking John up on that offer, a little greener podcast at gmail.com, let us know. Let us know what you want. Yeah. So we know, as you said, basically you started from what, 10,000 tons or 10,000 pounds. pounds. Yeah. 10,000 pounds up to millions now um, of electronic waste. We know it's going to be a bigger and bigger part of our future. We did an episode on solar panels in the past, and we talked about challenges associated with recycling solar panels as we transition our energy over to a cleaner grid. We love to see that ERI recycles solar panels, and we know that that's going to be part of that e-waste future. So could you talk about that? Could you talk about what else you see for the future of e-waste? What's going to change? What do the next 10 years look like? The future of e-waste is more. There's going to be more. But as we keep getting the word out with great people like you, Sarah and Casey, that do podcasts like this, more people are going to have knowledge. So, it, you know, knock on wood, we're going to get that recycling rate up in the United States up from 12, 13, 14%. It should be north of 50%. No one, no one ever says we're going to get it perfect and have a hundred percent. That's a little bit unrealistic, but let's get it three, four times what it is today. Let's all, because all of us have a stake in this. This isn't, you know, pushing the blame and pushing the burden on OEMs or cities or municipalities or just recyclers. This is all of us working together to make the world a better place, retailers included. 
That's number one. Number two, things are going to get smaller, like this aura ring, like this wearable. There's going to be stuff that gets implanted in you that now tracks you. That's coming. I've seen it. It's already invented. And that's coming. And that stuff's going to need to be destroyed when it comes to its end of life. Number three, lithium-ion batteries are here to stay. So I have four strategic partners. I have LS Group. It's called LSM&M. It's LS Metals and Materials. It's owned by the LG family, Ku family out of South Korea. They get all my printed circuit boards when we shred all of our electronics directly. Radical transparency from our facility to, to LSM&M. And they smelt it down. They recover the gold, the silver, the, the lead, the palladium, and the copper. And that all gets resold into new materials. I have a second strategic partner, Alcoa. They get all our aluminum. Aluminum is highly recyclable. Huge energy savings when you recycle aluminum, 94, 95%. And again, it's, it's called the infinite recyclable because it can be recycled 10, 20, 30 times infinitely. So they get all the aluminum. Number three, we have a guy named J.B. Straubel who co-founded Redwood Materials. But before he co-founded Redwood Materials, which is the largest lithium-ion battery recycling company now in the world and most successful, he co-founded a little company named Tesla with Elon Musk. And he ran Tesla for 16 years with Elon Musk and built the manufacturing facilities. He's a brilliant, he's genius, and we're blessed to have him on our board and also as a partner and investor with Redwood in ERI. So he gets all of our lithium ion batteries. And last but not least, we have Ron Gonan. Ron started something called the Closed Loop Fund and the Closed Loop Fund invested in us. And Ron sits on our board and he has as investors, Procter & Gamble, Starbucks, Amazon, Walmart, BlackRock. He has literally the most superstar investors, corporations and institutional investors in the world. And through him, they've invested in ERI. And he also gets to see new technologies and new trends coming. So he also gives us visibility that we not necessarily would have as a relatively small company. So radical transparency on where this stuff goes. So is, is gonna is here to stay and is gonna be a growing trend because people like you, Sarah and Casey, wanna know, wait, 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 wait. We're giving you our stuff. What are you really doing with it? How is that plastic getting back to HP? Because they say they're making printers out of recycled plastic or Apple or Samsung or any of these other amazing and great brands that are starting to make their products greener out of more recycled, more sustainable material. It's called now a whole new trend called design for sustainability. And that's, and our material resources, all those commodities I just mentioned are going back into that design for sustainability call to action that the OEMs have. And so that's going to be the real future. There's going to be a future where as you, your generation keeps voting with its pocketbook, and demanding that OEMs keep making their products greener and greener, it's we're going to go from 10% recycled material in a cell phone and a tablet. Years to come, your children are going to be having tablets or cell phones that are made out of 80% recycled material. And that's really where things are going. We sure hope so. Uh, looking forward to seeing that day for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and John, thank you so much. This is, it really is our electronics have become so ubiquitous. We almost just don't even think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. E-waste is not something that crosses the mind of a lot of people. So we really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us about this and, uh, and helping to put the word out there. 
Uh, and we have a favor to ask of you here at A Little Green Art. We like to end each of our episodes with a little challenge for our listeners. So we are, we're all about nature, conservation, sustainability. We have a different topic every week. Some days we might talk about e-waste. Some days we might talk about the octopus. <laughs> you know, so we're, we're all right. over the place, but we like to issue uh, our listeners a little challenge of an actionable that they can do based on the topic of the day. So what would you say, what would be a good challenge challenge that you might issue for our listeners or a couple if you want uh, that they can do to help cut down on on e-waste or help with e-waste recycling. According to the EPA, the average American has 23 extra items laying around either in their office, garage, attic, or house somewhere. 23. I say choose three to five of them and responsibly recycle them. Bring it to Best Buy. Bring it to Staples. Go to our website, eridirect.com. Something we didn't talk about that we invented years ago for business to business. We really found huge response during COVID. People go on our website and they buy a box because we have 20 different types of boxes people can buy. We ship you directly the box to your house or your business. It costs a little bit of money, but then you put your stuff in it at your own leisure. UPS or FedEx comes and picks it up, brings it back to one of our facilities. And now you've made the world a better place. And You've gotten your space back in your house or your office. So what, what I learned is this, Sarah, you asked a great question. Best Buy started this whole consumer take back program back in 06, 07. And years ago, about 10 years ago, I was having lunch with one of the Best Buy executives and millions of people were already leveraging this every year. And they were finding that over 50% of the people after they would drop off the old, old electronics would go in the store and buy something. And here's why. It goes to your question. Because they felt that they did something so good for the planet that they wanted to reward themselves for the good deed. It will make you feel better if you just make a little difference in your house or office by getting rid of the old stuff that you have laying around. Psychologically, it makes you better. It makes you a, clear, a clearer thinker to get rid of all those old cords. Even just cords are old electronics and can be 100% recycled. So just get some of the stuff, put it in a box, either bring it to Best Buy or Staples or another responsible recycler in your community, or ship it to us at ERI and we'll responsibly recycle. You'll have more space. You'll feel better about yourself. And, you've made, and then you have made the world a better place. I love it. I feel like that's two two great challenges in one. Get rid of those excess electronics and don't feel the need to buy every new electronic device that comes out. Bye. I love it. Pace yourself a little. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, John. If folks want to hear more from you or where they can find you or ERI on social media or where, where can they best go to Two best places to reach out. me is uh, eridirect.com, eridirect.com, or johnshagarian.com. I typically stay off social. I'm on LinkedIn. Everyone, if they, if they want to link me in, they can link me in. But I like to do everything over email. So people can just uh, reach me or reach our company at eridirect.com. 
Perfect. Well, we, we are all over social media. So if you want to follow, follow us at all, we are on Facebook, A Little Greener Podcast. We're on Instagram at A Little Greener Pod. We're on Twitter at A Greener Podcast. And as we said earlier, you can email us anytime at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. We're also on YouTube where you can listen to this with captions if that or, or watch with captions or however you want to say that if that <laughs> is helpful to you. So John, any last thoughts, anything we didn't hit on that you really wanted to to talk about while you were here anything like uh, that you know the only way we get anywhere and move this 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 topic forward is really just through education if, if, and, and this is why i'll always come on any podcast with you ladies or any other great people like you both because this is so important and unfortunately the traditional media isn't covering stories like this why, why in the traditional media, if you turned on CNBC today, and this is not, not a knock on CNBC or CNN or Bloomberg or Fox, that there's two stories about the environment historically over the last five years that literally are the major narratives. Tesla and the rise of Tesla, which is great. He's, you know, we're thrilled. JB's a great human being. We're thrilled because Elon Musk has done a great thing there. And also the other thing is post-consumer waste plastic. There's no other discussions about other issues and other great solutions that are out there in any of the subsectors of the, of the new circular economy. And that's a mistake. And that's unfortunate. So doing these kind of interviews where you're covering specific topics, where there's a truly huge problems, but also really responsible and legitimate solutions is so important. So I thank you both because you're doing not only making great content, but it's a great, great, great public service. And I applaud you both. And I thank you for all of your efforts on the world's behalf. Well, thank you. That was so kind. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, our sort of motto here is a little greener is doing your part to make the world a little step at a time. And I know that those stories aren't always newsworthy, but there's also lots of sad things that you can cover in the environment. We, we want to thank you for offering us some hope that there are positive contributions that everybody can make on this particular topic. So thanks so much for your time and coming on. It's totally my honor and privilege, and I wish you both continued success and keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Sean, and thanks to everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.